This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. This is a companion podcast to my Fox Nation special, Riddle, The Search for James R. Hoffa. Be sure to go to foxnation.com to watch the whole show. And now, Riddle, the podcast. We cannot engage directly or indirectly in management of a labor union. Disappeared from the site here at the Marcus Red Fox restaurant. The FBI is up against the stonewall in their investigation. Intensive investigation into his disappearances. Police checking out anonymous tips they say cannot be ignored. Hi, I'm Eric Sean, and welcome to Riddle, the podcast. My in-depth conversations with those involved in our Fox Nation special, Riddle, the search for James R. Hoffa, and my Fox News reporting. Thanks for listening today. For the next 25 minutes, you'll hear from Jeff Hansen. Jeff is a former law enforcement officer in Michigan. He spent years investigating what he thinks happened to Hoffa. Jeff says Hoffa was cremated at a cemetery very close to the house in Detroit, where hitman Frank Sheeran told me he shot Hoffa in the head. Jeff says that was the only crematory operating in 1975 when Hoffa disappeared. His book, Digging for the Truth, the final resting place of Jimmy Hoffa. But first, let me get you quickly up to speed. Jimmy Hoffa, he disappeared on July 30th, 1975, from the parking lot of the Marcus Red Fox restaurant in Bloomfield Hills, Michigan. It was believed he was headed to a meeting with Detroit mob boss Anthony Tony Jack Giacalone, a New Jersey Genovese captain and Teamster official Tony Tony Pro Provenzano. Well, in 2001, Buffalino crime family member and Teamster official Frank Sharon, an admitted mafia killer, he told me he shot Hoffa in a house in Detroit. I met him as part of his proposed biography, which became the book I Heard You Paint Houses. In 2004, we went to that house. We pulled up the tiles on the hardwood floor, and we actually found blood. The pattern fits Sharon's story precisely, the greatest amount of the possible evidence was in front of the foyer closet door, where Sharon says Hoffa hit his head on the floor. Seven drops went down the hallway to the kitchen, where Sharon says Hoffa's body was dragged out by two accomplices and was cremated. The FBI did find blood. They said one drop was inconclusive in terms of a DNA match. Another one was to an unknown male. There was no match to Hoffa which is why I am calling on the government to release all of the Hoffa FBI investigation files fully now. Let the Hoffa family and the American public know what's been secret for so long and that we have been denied knowing and retest the blood evidence we found using the latest DNA technology. Here now, what Jeff Hansen thinks happened to Jimmy Hoffa. First of all, Jeff, you were a law enforcement officer. What, what department were you at? Where were you at? I was originally with the Detroit Police Department and then uh, retired with the Taylor Police Department. And you decided to use your experience and the investigative techniques that you used on the force in the job to try and find the final resting place of Jimmy Hoffa. What did you do? Yep. What, did, what did you come up with? Why? 
Well, what happened was, I mean, when I first, I didn't, I first got into this, I was, uh, I had an idea of where, you know, from where uh, Frank Sharon said that uh, he had, where he had killed Hoffa at in the, in the house on Beaverland Street in Detroit. It was only a few miles away from where I grew up. And knowing the layout of the area, I had an idea of what Frank Sharon had said that the body was cremated. I then uh, started looking into the different cemeteries in the area. And uh, one was very, very close to the house on Beaverland. And I went from there and uh, gained as much information as I could about one, the cemetery business and cremations. And I uh, took that information from that cemetery and applied it to all the other ones in the in the area. And then uh, based on what uh, Frank had said about the funeral business and funeral parlors possibly being involved, I took that information and uh, went from there and uh, and found the most likely uh, cemetery that would have been involved in uh, Hoffa's uh cremation and most people don't probably don't understand this this system and how it works can you explain that how you have uh, what frank said was a mob associated or mob connected funeral home the, the bodies aren't cremated at the funeral home they're at a cemetery a crematory right and you tell us about your research that you found out that in 1975 what only one in detroit had a crematory what, yeah, based, back to what Frank was saying, exactly what he said to Charles Brandt was that a, a funeral home tied to the Detroit Mafia, the Detroit, uh, you know, basically they were able to um, help get the body cremated. Now, when they, by helping, meaning they didn't, yes, funeral homes in the city of Detroit and funeral homes all over the state of Michigan and probably across the country, they do not uh, do their own cremation cremations uh they have services that they send them out to cemeteries usually have uh the crematory with where where their mausoleums are at and and what i found out was that um how easy it was for that for that for a body especially back in 1975 to be taken from uh say uh, a house uh the person passed away in a house or Wherever they were, they were taken, and then they were uh, by a, a unmarked car. Uh, back then, funeral parlors, uh, they had unmarked uh, station wagons, and they would pick up the bodies. They would then drive them uh, to the uh, cemetery, to the crematorium, and drop the body off. Uh, they would have a cremations box uh, and a burial transit permit, and just that would get them in the door. The body would be dropped off, and it would sit there until the funeral parlor, uh, well, or the the crematorium, would put them in the uh, in the in the ovens. Uh, they're called also called retorts. The uh, what I found out on that specific day was the cemetery in question uh, that I pinpoint in my book is that that cemetery was the only one in the area in the Detroit in in the city of Detroit. Anywhere near close by um, that had cremations that day. Other other cemeteries had cremation ovens, but none of them uh, were one. Did they have anything uh, to do with the funeral parlor that Frank Sharon names? Nor did they have anything to do with uh, cremations that specific day. I found two cremations happen that day at this specific cemetery that is within the D- Detroit area. It is 
only a few miles um, going and actually 15 minutes away from the house on Beaverland Street. And it fits right with what Sharon was claiming, that the body and everything was done within an hour of uh, Jimmy Hoffa being killed in that house. What's interesting, we went to the cemetery and we talked to them. And, of course, they, they had nothing to do with it. They may not have even – they would not have even known. Uh, because no. Talk about the files and the papers. It's so – it's kind of loose. You, all you need is that transit card. If the police stop you, you've got a body in your car. You, it's, you're, you represent a funeral home. Uh, you Correct. may be uh, employed by that funeral home. And you have this official piece of paper that gives you permission to drive around with a body. Right. And that's what I believe is what happened that they, you know, that once uh, Hoffa walked into that house and the people that were there uh, on the on the behest of uh, the Provenzano crew from New Jersey, that they were there waiting. And I believe that because the house uh, turned out to be a uh, uh, not a flop house, but a uh, it was a rental. It was a it was a basically a uh, a house where uh, people were coming and going all the time. And uh, the lady that owned the house uh, was never there. Yep. She uh, Martha Sellers. Uh, her family said that yep. she was living in, in Plymouth. The house was That's empty. Correct. The house was available yep. that day. Frank said yes. there was a, a real estateer, as he put it, real estateer, who was involved. So they had access to this house. And yes. the two accomplices, uh, as Frank said. Drag, drug, drag, drag the body down the hallway. We found the blood evidence, uh, seven drops going down the hallway, most of it by the closet where Hoffa's head would have hit the floor after Frank says he shot him. And, and yes. the two accomplices then put him in a body bag. He said it was a station wagon in the back by the detached garage, put him in the, in the station wagon, and then they just drive right over to the cemetery. And Correct. if they get caught, they got a, or stopped, they get, they have that transit card making it legal That's right. and there's like no yeah, other paperwork i mean no one's gonna look at a body to say who's that no no and that's the thing that all the cemeteries that i talked to all the people in the funeral business that i spoke to once a body goes in that say it's a cremains box or a body bag about a cremains box could be definitely uh, uh it's something that the funeral parlor gives to their people to go pick up the body it's it goes uh, into the car they go into the back of the facility at the crematorium, at the crematorium. The body is never looked at. And this is, this is standard across the whole um, industry. They don't look inside the box to see who is in there. They just have the piece of paper from the funeral parlor stating that Mrs. So-and-so or Mr. Uh, Mr. Jones are, they are there in the box. The box then goes in the, cre in the cremation oven and it's turned on. It sounds and like then the body is then, that's that's exactly how easy it is, how easy it was. Even today, I mean, it's not very much uh, different uh, from uh, what you could do today, especially at uh, the cemetery um, in question in Detroit. Uh, they probably had nothing to do with uh, um, knowing any way, shape, or form that Jimmy Hoffa was going to be there. Um, I'm I'm pretty certain that they. Uh, we're just going about the regular business and believing that the people that were dropped off that day, which I found two women were cremated that day. And on the logbook, it shows that uh, they are um, they were cremated at Evergreen on July 30th, 1975. So at, um, and you, you wrote a book. It's called Digging for the Truth, the Final Resting Place of Jimmy Hoffa. And you really went into the details. Talk about that, how. The records show two women, and I mean, how do we know that one of them was a woman, and they just didn't say Jimmy Hoffa's uh, Edna Jones or whatever? And, and talk about how some of those 
the remains are, are missing? Uh, correct. Yeah, but what happened was that we, I finally, when I went and, uh, and started, uh, at, um, just the questions were very, uh, to everybody, I went to every single place and just asked the same questions. And when I went to this specific one and I found the logbook that shows that Mrs. Jones, 89 years old, let's say she was 89 years old. This is a close approximation to how old this woman was. She was cremated on that specific day. The same day, another person, Mrs. Smith, uh, 90 years old, approximation of her of her actual age was also cremated that cremated that day and in the logbook it shows a list of different people that were either inter, uh, cremated and their um boxes or their cremains urns were turned over to either family members and or funeral parlors uh or even shipped to another out-of-state uh, facility which would be then taken to the family for burial or put on somebody's fireplace, things of that nature. Uh, what we found out was that uh, going into that logbook, and I was given access to the uh, attic above the mausoleum at this facility. Oh, and I found, and it's like, uh, if you imagine, if you will, there's um, an attic with the very, um, very, uh, it's in Amer- it's in a year order. It's uh, set up to where every year, going back to 1945, set up on these walls they have oh, uh, uh cremain boxes that were never picked up by people wow and when i went, when I went into the to the uh, the 1975 area and i started looking for these two cremains boxes that would belong to these two women um and which on the logbook it shows that they should still be there because they were never picked up um and this is a logbook i was looking at from and this is back in 2000 uh when I was doing this is 2009, uh, I was given access, uh, finally. And uh, when I looked at the logbook and looked for these cremains, looked for the boxes with these women's names on them, uh, they were not there. They do not, uh, there. And I looked at other areas of the, of the, um, just to see if they were misplaced. But in the logbook, there's say, there's another, a gentleman that was cremated there. And in his uh, slot, it says indefinite care, meaning that he's going to be taken care of there at that the facility um, until the end of time. I found his box there all lined up with other ones that were in correlation with the logbook. And those two women on July 30th, 1975, their boxes are missing. That is that te- that could tell you something. I mean, that is strange, especially when remains from a family are recorded and the logbook, as you say, says that they were there, but the, their remains are missing. Well, the one woman I verified as being a real person. Um, she was, uh, I found her death certificate and the other, uh, lady, I, um, I still to this day, I'm unable to find out if she had a birth death or any kind of taxes or any kind of, um, uh, any kind of background. She so, just, so what the, you're saying is one name uh, of a woman had the was cremated. You can't find any record or any trace of that woman, and her remains no. are missing. And and they're missing. And and just like for instance, all three uh, cremation ovens at this facility can be ran at the same time, and it's been there since 1945. Uh, so that's that's the mystery there. To where this 
this is what Frank Sheeran was trying to tell everybody. I think he just didn't want to uh, um, put up, like he said um, to Charlie in his uh, in his different uh, in his different uh, confessions and his different information he was giving to Charles Brandt. I believe he was just giving as much information as he wanted to. He did not want to involve other people. He did not want to get anybody else in trouble. He wanted to come clean with what he did. Um, and if there was anybody else involved, he mentioned a, a funeral parlor. Um, and I just happened to keep going at from that angle and found the cemetery. Well, this, you know, having met Frank Sharon and have him tell me the story, this is I, I immediately, of course, jumped to a potential conclusion that the name of the woman who does not exist, that was Jimmy Hoffa that they came in, they had a slip of paper of a made-up name of some women. The cremains go in there, and maybe after uh, Frank starts talking or some other point because they don't want any evidence to be found, maybe someone goes in there and steals the remains and takes well, them. Well, it could have happened. Or never even put them in the first happened. place. It could have happened that way easily because, um, well, if you go back, if Frank, the, the I Heard Your Pain Houses came out in 2004, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, yeah, it would have been 2004. Um, I didn't discover an evergreen, the different cemeteries that were involved. It uh, wasn't discovered. That wasn't discovered until, until 2006, between 2006 and 2009. Do you, do you think, what is your, what, what's your gut tell you? My gut tells me is that uh, of all the different things that everybody has said over these years, that the body was taken here, it was taken to Meadowlands, it was taken out out of the state, it was taken, and all these different things. His body was put into a hole in, at a horse farm. His, all these different things are what people, I believe, came up with um, as to to tell law enforcement or whoever they wanted to tell investigative reporters. They wanted to give these people um, false leads. They wanted to give them information that they knew were not was. Uh, was not true that would not lead to a body because there is no body and what better way to do this is go to a place where um, dead bodies go on a daily basis and I believe this Jimmy Hoffa was cremated at that facility that one of those women the, the women were uh, the one woman was used as um, as a false name because they had that they knew they knew the procedures they meaning the Detroit Mafia knew the procedures of this one facility and they knew how easy it was to get rid of a body and they had done it. They probably had done it before. Yeah, that absolutely makes, makes tremendous sense. Uh, and it, it is the easiest, simplest type of answer. You're not driving around Jimmy Hoffa very long. You don't want to in, in, no. a, in a station wagon or in a truck or in a oil drum potentially, although there are others who say that was the case, but it seems sure. the most likely, it seems a very likely case where you just drive them a couple of miles from Beaverland, you have that transit card, you say it's a woman, the body gets cremated, it's posted the crema crem cre cremation remains, as you say, say, are supposed to be there, but they're not because they took him and he's in the wind and someplace where that any any evidence of his body would never be found, as is Correct. what has happened so yeah. far. Yeah, there's so many way, ways, shape or form that uh, in those years that, you know, somebody said, hey, you know, they knew what where something was. They knew where these boxes were. They knew where the, where the one. They they knew where this was done at. Somebody had an idea of where these things happened at, and or that day 
and they just uh, decided to, you know, just get rid of it. And maybe they're sitting in somebody's, uh, you know, closet oh, or man. You know, somebody, you know, somebody's just got them and they've just been sitting there and unmarked. And yeah, it could be a, 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 some, a friend of ours has Ethel Merman in his closet. Seriously. Really? I mean, yeah, ap- absolutely. Uh, but, you know, Jeff, we've known each other a long time. Frank Sharon. Uh, some people say, well, he made this story up to sell a book. Uh, he was, it's not the case. Um, what, what is your feeling about Frank Sharon, whether or not he's telling the truth? The being back to what, you know, if you imagine, I mean, think about what this man had did in, in his life. And when Charles Brandt was talking to him and getting information from him and the guy was, you know, obviously sick, he didn't want to be, you know, he was wanting to get things off his chest. He was one of nine people that was involved in this, uh, that the FBI had as being involved in getting, getting rid of Jimmy Hoffa. He had to have been involved. They, they all, everybody agrees on that. As far as him not telling the truth about this, just wanting to sell a book, I believe that uh, he was telling, uh, he did lie about certain things back in the 70s and 80s and the 90s. I believe that he did not want people to know exactly what he had done because, one, Jimmy Hoffa was a friend of his. He did not want to admit that he had killed a very close friend of his. Of his. Um, I believe that uh, he was telling um other people what they wanted to hear or what, you know, basically telling them that one, he wasn't involved in it or two, uh, he was involved in it, but other people killed Hoffa. He did not want to come clean. I don't blame the man. He was still would have been indicted and put in prison back into prison. Had he confessed to this? Yes. He was, when, when I met him, he was, I ain't going back to college. That's exactly this main concern in life was not going back to to prison, and you point point out uh, he had a news conference in Philadelphia before he went to prison, and he claimed that the uh, Vietnamese generals did it uh, under the auspices of the Nixon administration. And I have been told that was his message to the mafia that he's going to prison is never going to be a rat. Correct. Why you know, and obviously because had he come clean at any point in time, he they know he knew for a fact they would have been able to get to him one way or another or his family. And then finally, Jeff, has the FBI ever come to talk to you about this, about your theory and, and about what you found? Well, I reached out to them before I even before I even you know, started thinking about writing this all down because I just wanted the information to get out uh, as, you know, a, it came. Charles Brandt, I believed, had everything done. FBI, um, I took my information to them. They did contact me. We had a, a, a nice meeting in downtown Detroit and I gave them my file and everything and all the log books. And I gave them everything that I had found the real names of the people that, uh, were, uh, cremated that day. And the, the, uh, the absolute, uh, the, the people that were, um, the named as, mm-hmm. uh, being involved in this. That's, that's why I gave them back in 2009. But you haven't heard, there's been no, you haven't heard from them after that. No, no, I had not. Uh, and and f- I said finally before, but really finally, because one goal of Riddle, the search for James R. Hoffa, our Fox Nation special in my reporting, calling for the FBI, the government, to release all of the 302s, those are the informant interviews, release all the FBI files in the Hoffa case unredacted so Americans can see the truth. Would you be for that? Would you be for a complete release after all these years of all the material they have. Uh, the, that's something well, the Hoffa family wants. If the, if the Hoffa, I, I would, I would love to see that happen. If uh, they're still, 
I believe in my heart that there, and I believe actually what I've, uh, what I've been told is that there are still two people that are, um, could possibly be, um, held responsible for this. Yeah, and, they're, uh, they're in the Hoffex memo and they're, they're identified in, in, you know, Chucky O'Brien and Thomas Andretta. Chucky yeah. is, has, they both took the fifth in front of the grand jury. Uh, Chucky, uh, is, has publicly in interviews denied involvement. He would not talk with us. And Thomas Andretta uh, did not respond to our request for an interview. Um, Correct. and they have been identified in the Hoffex memo publicly already. Uh, well, at, if, if, and if the FBI decides that, uh, they, uh, they have done everything that I, I believe they actually turned everything over to the Oakland County, uh, um, prosecutor's office back in, uh, 2005 after uh charles they did you know, they, they did they they turned they turned the fbi turned it over to the to the prosecutors that's when we went in 2004 now it's back with the fbi now it's back with the well, federal government uh sure and not with the the police department they told well, there me there might be a, there might be a reason for that i'm not privy to that yeah i would imagine in my my own mind that uh coming from my background that uh, there's something uh, that they're doing and they are not going to release anything until they are completely 100%. Those two guys are either uh, gone or one of them uh, turns uh, and finally confesses to the crime uh, to, to being a part of the crime that, that, that they were, uh, I believe, uh, uh, an Alleg accessory. Allegedly. 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 Yes. Yeah. Allegedly. Allegedly. Yeah. Allegedly um, that. Yeah. Uh, uh, do you think we'll ever know the truth? Uh, yes, I, I, I do believe that uh, once uh, that this, uh, I, I believe this is solvable if somebody decides to come forward or if the FBI finally does put out exactly what mm -hmm. they know, what they have uh, in their files, because there is something uh, that I think the, just to let everybody know in the Hoffa family, of course, is the most important in my mind. I mean, I, I dedicated my book to, uh, to their, to his family because, uh, I believe that all these years of people making fun or, you know, or all these different jokes and the things you see on the TV, you see the, the movies, I believe it's finally time for no one to try to dig up any kind of, uh, horse farm, no more digging up, uh, driveways. There's no more digging up anything. I, we found, what happened to the body and there's no, there's nothing we can do about finding what, where it is. That was, that was absolutely eloquently and so well put. And, and that's my feeling too, for the Hoffa family, it is such a personal pain. Uh, you know, I think they've had enough. Yes. I think they've had, I mean, they, they, 1982 is when they, they had their ceremony for him. I think it's time for uh, the American people to say, okay, yeah, we're, we figured out the, now we know the truth. This is what happened. And this is what uh, we're, um, and let's just be done with this. But now we have a total understanding of just how deviant and how uh, uh, what lengths the uh, the mafia and uh, the organized crime would go to to get rid of somebody that I believe was uh, turning states out. It was giving evidence of uh, crimes that the uh, mafia and the Teamster were, were involved in in the in the 50s, 60s and 70s. Digging for the Truth, the Final Resting Place of Jimmy Hoffa is your book. You can get it uh, on Amazon. Just Google it. Jeff Hansen has been my guest. Jeff, you're in uh, the program, Riddle, the Search for Jimmy Hoffa. We've done lots of stories, and we will continue. And on Fox Nation and Fox News, calling for the government to release the FBI files 
and retest the blood that we found in the house on Beaverland, which fits the pattern that Frank Sherman said exactly. Jeff, my thanks. Eric, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Of course. I'm Eric Sean. Riddle, the search for James R. Hoffman. Thanks for listening today. Check out all the other Riddle podcasts. You can also follow me on Twitter and Facebook. And just Google my name, put Frank Sherwin next to it or Jimmy Hoffa, and you can see the other articles we've written. And you can keep up with my reporting on Fox News. I'm Eric Sean. Thanks again for Riddle, the podcast. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.